0: Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Mark? The passage we're covering is Mark 8.31-9.1. through 9 1. We're actually going to start at verse 8.27 uh, to give us context this morning as we study. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being together with those of like precious faith who love you and who seek to serve you and live out their faith. Help us each to be helpful to each other in doing that. Help us to take your word seriously. Help us to build it into our lives so that we reflect your ways more than we reflect the world's ways. We ask you to help us to understand your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria became tired of his responsibilities as king, the pressures of international politics and the mundane worldliness of court life. He made an application to Prior Richard in a local monastery to be accepted as a contemplative to spend the rest of his life in prayer and meditation there. Prior, Richard responded, Your Majesty, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? That will be hard for you since you have been a king. I understand, Henry said, the rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads. Prior, Richard responded, then I will tell you what, you, what to do. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. After King Henry died, this statement was written in his honor. The king learned to rule by being obedient. Each of us must willingly choose to put ourselves under authority, including the authority of God. The reason I share that illustration is this we have spent many years before we came to know Jesus Christ under our own authority. We've spent many years following our own will. We've spent many years following our own desires and our own ways. But what Jesus is telling us in our passage this morning is that if we are to be disciples of His, it's time to give up our ways and it's time to embrace His ways. It's time to deny ourselves. It's time to follow Him. One writer said, control and privilege are two things we must give up to follow Jesus. They are two things we must be giving up constantly, even repeatedly. These two things precede following Jesus. Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. Hardly a day will go by that we won't need to give up our desires for control and privilege reaffirm with God your choice to follow Him today. I thought that was an interesting statement and I thought that was a true statement. Hardly a day will go by that we won't need to give up our desires for control and privilege. Jesus is saying if we want to be His disciples, we will have to give up the desire for control. We will have to turn over the control of our lives to Him We will have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, that is, embrace the fact that being a Christian doesn't immune us, give us immunity from suffering. Being a Christian doesn't give us immunity from suffering. In fact, suffering will come into our lives as a result of coming to Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so, we see in our passage before us Starting at verse 27 to get the context, Jesus and His disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, He asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus' expectation of you and of me as Christians is that we will be increasingly putting aside selfish intentions and more and more embracing God's will following Jesus, having our minds on God's values and on His viewpoints in our marriages, in our homes, in our work, in our play. So many marriages are at risk today, Christian marriages, because we will not put our selfish intentions away. We will not embrace God's will and follow Jesus and set aside the selfishness. So many of our homes are in difficulty So much difficulty at work and in our play. But Jesus' expectation of you and of me is that as Christians, we will be increasingly putting aside selfish intentions. The way Jesus says it in our passage this morning is this. We have to give up control to Him. We have to give up control to Him. We have to follow His lead. He tells us in our passage this morning, there's a cost to following Him there is a cost of following Him. However, the other side of that, and it's important to balance that, there's also a benefit to following Jesus. We must learn God's point of view. In order to learn God's point of view, we must immerse ourselves, especially in the Word of God. We must see life from God's point of view. We must not expect the VIP treatment in this life. We have to align our thoughts with God's thoughts. The disciples would have to adjust their thinking. You and I have to adjust our thinking. We have to align our will with God's will. I think it's interesting in this passage that no sooner had Peter made his great declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, when Jesus explains to him, well, that's what this means, Peter. Peter. That's what this means, disciples. It means the Son of Man is going to be abused, going to be crucified, going to die, be resurrected from the dead. And no sooner had Peter made that great declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, than he denies Jesus' words. If that's true for Peter, it is doubly true for you and for me. It's so easy to one moment be understanding of the Word of God, in line with the Word of God, and the next moment we're denying the Word of God. We're denying the Word of God. Peter's declaration. Well, before I, we have to align our thoughts with God's thoughts. We must align our will with God's will. We must deny ourselves. We must take up our cross. We must follow Jesus. We must acknowledge Him in all of our lives. Peter's declaration in verse 29 that I've just mentioned where Peter said in verse 29 Peter answered, you are the Christ. In the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 he adds the Son of the living God Peter's declaration is the crucial point of Mark's gospel. Pastor Steve and Pastor Chris made those points, that point in the, in the last two weeks. Peter's declaration is the crucial point of Mark's gospel. It is the center of Mark's gospel. It is the center of Mark's gospel. Chapters 1 to 8 ask the under and answers the underlying question, who is Jesus? Jesus. Who is Jesus? Chapters 9 to 16, where we are at now in our study of the book of Mark, is oriented toward the cross and oriented toward the resurrection. The underlying questions that Mark seeks to answer in chapters 9 through 16 of Mark is this. What kind of Messiah is Jesus? See, Peter has just acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter has just acknowledged that Jesus is the Christ, and Christ is Greek for anointed, and that is the Greek for the Hebrew, Mashiach, which is Messiah. Peter has just identified Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The underlying question uh, that answers qu- chapters 1 through 8. The underlying question now in chapters 9 through 16 is this what kind of Messiah is He? What kind of Messiah is He? And what will it mean for those who follow Him? Remember, they were expecting a political, military leader as their Messiah. They were expecting, the Jews were expecting, including the disciples whose thinking had to be changed, they were expecting a military leader who would come and break the chains, the bonds of Rome over the Israelites, over the Jews, and release them from their bondage. And... They had to change their thinking about that. They were expecting glory. They were expecting a crown. They were expecting recognition. They were expecting places of authority. But instead, Jesus tells them that he's going to the cross. Well, that's not the kind of Messiah they were expecting. That's not what they were expecting out of Messiah. They were thinking, well, we're going to sit at His right hand and the left hand, and if we don't take those two places of honor, we'll at least be someplace on the table. They were expecting a crown. And Jesus is telling them what they're going to get is a cross. They are expecting a crown, and what Jesus is telling them is that they're going to get a cross. Peter's declaration is the center of Mark's gospel. From chapters 9 through 16, Mark will answer the questions, what kind of Messiah is Jesus, and what does it mean to follow him? Now, before we begin to answer that question and see how Mark answers that question, One writer rightly asked us, what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Whom have you said Jesus is in your life? The writer goes on to say, this is a vitally important question. Unlike the crowds, the disciples have been with Jesus throughout most of his ministry. They have watched him and listened to him. Now they are being asked what their conclusion is. You are here this morning. I assume that for most, if not all of you, you've already made that decision. You've decided who Jesus is. You've decided along with Peter that he is the Messiah, God incarnate, the Son of God. Well, that title that Jesus used of himself is the title, Son of Man. In verse 31 we read, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must, be, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and that's when Peter took him aside. The title Son of Man is found in the Old Testament in a couple of places, the most important of which is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 It's the title that Jesus used of himself in the scripture. In fact, he is the only one who uses the title son of man of himself. It comes from Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. And the reason that Jesus uses it, the reason that Jesus uses it about himself to describe himself as the incarnate Son of God, the Son of Man, is because it was free of political connotation. It was free of political connotation. What I mean by that is, it was free of the idea of a political and nationalistic messiah. It was free of the idea of a political and nationalistic messiah while at the same time it combined elements of the kingdom and the glory, it also combined the elements of His suffering and death. It combines the elements of the kingdom and glory as we look forward to the millennium, but it also focuses on His suffering and death. It focused on His mission yet it contained the elements of the kingdom and the elements of glory. It uniquely defined his messianic role. Well, Jesus mentions the elders. (coughs) Excuse me. You swallow the wrong way. It's not a good time to do it. (laughs) Hang on a second. Have a cup of coffee while we're waiting here. Okay, I think that's better. Uh, Who were the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law? These three, three groups made up the Sanhedrin. The elders were influential lay members of the Sanhedrin. They were influential lay members of the Sanhedrin. The chief priests were Sadducees, and they were members of the high priestly families. Caiaphas, the high priest, Annas, the former high priest, were chief priests, part of the Sadducees, part of the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. The teachers of the law were professional scribes, and they were mostly Pharisees. They were mostly Pharisees. Well, what Mark is raising for us here in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 9 through 9-1 are two problems. The first is a theological problem. The first is a theological problem. The context of what is going on The context of Jesus challenging them about discipleship, challenging them about being disciples. The context is the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The context is the predictions of Jesus' death. He does that on at least three occasions in the upcoming chapters. Chapter 8 and verse 31. Chapter 9 Verses 30 to 32, chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. The theological problem is this Peter couldn't reconcile his view of Messiah, which was political and nationalistic, with what Jesus said about his death and burial and resurrection. Peter could not reconcile those two views. It's interesting how Jesus answers him as we go through this passage. Jesus' answer to him is, you do not have the things of God in view, you have the things of man in view. And that is always the choice for you and always the choice for me. We are either going to think God's thoughts, we are either going to have in mind the things of God, or we're going to have in mind the things of man. We can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. And so Peter has a theological problem. He couldn't reconcile his view of Messiah. Jesus says the problem you have is that you're looking at this from human eyes and not from biblical eyes. How much of life do we do that? How much of life do we look at things humanly speaking? How much of life do we look at things from God's point of view? How are we being changed? How are we being challenged by the word of God, by the teachers who teach us? How much are we being challenged to be biblical thinkers, to be deep biblical thinkers? So there's a theological problem that Mark puts before us, but there's also a practical problem if you are following a Messiah, if you are following the Son of Man, the Son of God, if you are following God incarnate, the Messiah come to save you, if you are following Him and He's going to a cross, if you are following Him and He's going to His death, the practical problem is this, what happens to me? What happens to me? What would happen to the disciples? Were they throwing their lives away? Were they throwing their lives away? That's the question that Mark is trying to answer here. No, they were not throwing their lives away. But you have to understand, you have to see in the context of what Jesus is saying a disciple is, in the context of what Jesus is saying a disciple does, you have to see that that's a logical question. Were they throwing their lives away? Were they getting on the wrong bus? Had they chosen the right path? Had they chosen the right direction for their lives? That's the underlying questions. The theological problem is Jesus' predictions of his death and burial, and resurrection, the practical problem for the disciples is what happens to them? What happens to them? Now folks, that's an important question for you and I to consider. If if we are following a Savior who suffered, what should we expect in our lives? If we are following a Savior who suffered in the way He did, Should we feel that somehow we're going to bypass the suffering and go right to the crown? That we're going to bypass the suffering and go right to the glory? Now that is not to say that the Christian life is not worthwhile. That is not to say that the Christian life is not worth living. It is worth everything. In fact, Jesus is going to deal with this when he gets to defining discipleship which he will do starting in verse 34, which we will not get to till next week. Jesus defines discipleship in verse 34 through the end of the chapter. Well, one writer said this, One minute Peter was led by God to confess his faith in Jesus Christ, and the next minute he was thinking like an unbelieving man and expressing the thoughts of Satan. Think about that. Think about that. One minute Peter was confessing his faith in Jesus Christ, and the next minute he was thinking like an unbelieving man. That should frighten every one of us. That should cause every one of us to sit up and take notice. If that can happen to Peter, one of the outstanding disciples, if that can happen to him, that one minute he is confessing Jesus Christ, one minute he is confessing the truth about Jesus Christ, and in the very next moment, in the very next moment, he is denying the truth. He's thinking like an unbelieving man. I can s- kind of see it like, of course, Jesus is the Son of God. He knew what was going to happen, but I can kind of see it like when, he's con- when Peter confesses Jesus Christ, it's like, yay, Peter finally got it. Let's do our little happy dance. Yeah. Let's do our happy dance. Peter gets it. Yay, Peter. the disciples put them up on their shoulders and march him around. Yay, Peter got it. No sooner do they put him down to the ground from his shoulders, and what does he do? He denies the truth of the Word of God. Humanly speaking, Jesus must have gone, here we are again. But I can't be too hard on Peter because I wonder how many times Jesus looks at me and shrugs his shoulders and says, here we are again. Here we are again. One minute Peter was led by God to confess his faith in Jesus Christ. The next minute he was thinking like an unbelieving man and expressing the thoughts of Satan. Another writer said, even the best of saints is but a poor, fallible creature. Peter acted out of ignorance. He didn't understand God's program. He acted out of self-conceit. He thought he knew better than God himself. How many times do we act out of ignorance of God's plan because we don't spend time in the word of God? How many times do we believe we know better than God in our lives? Peter acted with the best intentions. As one writer said, he meant well. His motives were pure, but zeal and earnestness are no excuse for error. Just because we are zealous and just because we are earnest is no excuse for us to be promoting a lie or an error. The writer said, a person may mean well and yet fall into tremendous mistakes. A well-meaning but unspiritual disciple can become the tool of Satan. A well-meaning but unspiritual disciple can become a tool of Satan. Well, that's taken us to the introduction to this part of the book of mark this this last half of the book of mark next week we will get into verses 34 following where we'll see jesus definition of a disciple let's pray lord thank you for the challenges of your word thank you for the realness of your word that it doesn't sugarcoat the deficiencies of the disciples, but shows them to us in all of their warts and challenges and problems, because we have warts and challenges and problems. And we need to be reminded that one minute we can be expressing the most wonderful truths and the next minute denying you. Help us, Lord, to be consistent in our love for you And in our commitment to you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.